Welcome to But Jesus Drank Wine and other stories that kept us stuck. I'm Mead. And I'm Christy. In this podcast, we'll explore the stories that kept us, well, stuck, wanting to drink and not wanting to drink all at the same time. Join us as we show you that freedom from alcohol does not have to mean a life sentence of misery and missing out, but actually means living an authentic life full of peace, joy, and purpose. Hi, guys. Oh, my gosh. This is going to be such a good one. I'm so stoked. Ah! So <laughs> What was that noise? Exciting. What was that noise? I don't know, but I, I like know. it. Do it again. Do it again. Ah! <laughs> I'm a bird. <laughs> That's a good one. So that other, that other laugh you hear, we have a special guest with us today joining us. We are so excited to dive into this, this question. Like, what do I do if my hub still drinks? When we're starting this journey and we're, we're kind of entering into this, it can get kind of tricky if you have a spouse, have a partner who is not on the same journey as you, which by the way, rarely ever happens. So how do we navigate this? So for this episode, we wanted to bring in our good friends and I mean, just mentor, peer, just awesome guy, Scott Pinyard, former head coach at This Naked Mind. Whoop, whoop fellow story coach, all the things. So welcome, Scott. Yay. You're Hi. here. I always, I never know if I should like start talking before I'm introed. Like <laughs> I always want to, and then I, and then I hold back. I'm trying to be polite. <laughs> <laughs> we're so happy you're here. You taught me tonight everything we know. So we're just, we're just so glad you're here. I'm excited to be here. I have to say I've been listening since I knew when the podcast came out and I've been listening along the way and I'm a big fan of what you guys are doing. So I'm super, super psyched to be able to contribute. Yay. Oh, thank you. Thank you for all, all that you've taught us and guided us on along the way. And I think you'll have some good guidance for our listeners today around this kind of whole idea. And if you would kind of fill us in, you know, start with a little your story. What's your alcohol-free freedom story? What does that yeah, look like? Yeah. I, so I, I struggled for almost six years to quit drinking and I drank a lot. For me, it started in college. I don't need to go into the details there, but you know, I noticed after college, a lot of my friends like slowed down and I did not. I kind of went in the other direction. And you know, when I got into my mid thirties, I was like, this is not sustainable. I mean, things were getting bad. And you know, I had multiple times when, you know, my partner would try to have the talk, right? She'd try to talk to me and, you know, talk to me like this isn't really working and, and all of that. And, you know, I finally, finally got to the point where I'm like, I need to do something about this. And then the hard part started when I just kept failing the way I saw it, right? I'd make a decision like, all right, I'm not going to drink this weekend. And then, I mean, I didn't make it through Friday night. You know, I don't have one of those stories where like, I, I wasn't the sort of person who could go weeks without alcohol. Like a day was maximum for me. And I really started to feel trapped. And it felt like the more I struggled against it, the harder it had me in its grip. And so I tried so many different things. I tried going to therapy. I tried going to AA. I tried, you know, just talking to other people that have been around it. I bought all types of books and it was just like over and over and over again, dead end after dead end. And I felt like I was making no progress. And <clears throat> I got to a point where I started to feel desperate. You know, I, it started to feel, uh, I don't know, existential, I guess. Like I need to do this or things are going to go in a really bad direction. And, you know, I'm lucky in the sense that I never got a DUI. 
I never got, you know, I never had like super negative life consequences. I have had bosses in the past comment on like drinking a lot, but nothing, nothing, you know, I never got fired over it, but I knew it was only a matter of time. Like I, I like this road was going one way. And then I, I found, I found a book called This Naked Mind. And with that book and like months of going through it, I was able to quit drinking. And not only was I able to quit, but I was able to quit in a way that felt way different than any other attempt. And I was so excited by that, that I started helping people, right? I mean, I have an engineering degree. That's my, that's my background. And, you know, I was traveling all over the place, selling engineering services. And I was in a, like sort of a online personal improvement group. And I just started offering for free to help people. And it turned out I was kind of good at it. And one of those people said, Hey, you should like charge us for this. <laughs> and I'm like, what? So I started doing that. And one thing led to another before I knew it, you know, I was coaching almost full time. And then I joined this naked mind and I was with this naked mind for almost five years as the head coach, you know, helping build programs, getting to meet awesome people like you guys and really helping to change the way people think about alcohol and the process of quitting alcohol. And so now I'm out of my own, you know, I'm taking on clients again. I'm working one-on-one -on -one with people again. I haven't done that in years and it's so invigorating and it's so much fun. And that is my story. That was, you said a short version. I think that was, that was pretty short. <laughs> it was perfect. It was exactly the exact <laughs> perfect length. Well, one of the things that we get asked all the time, and actually, I don't know if you remember, Scott, but during my cohort of training, we were allowed a one-on-one -on -one with you. And this was my question for you. This is, So you actually did coach me through this and we get asked it all the time. And it's just like, what do we do when we're on this journey, but our husbands, you know, spouses still drink? Like we want them so desperately to be on the same page with us. But yeah. as we know, we can't force them. So tell me again what you told me then. <laughs> oh my, am I supposed to remember this? Well, I will tell you, I will tell you, you know, one of the things, and this comes up all the time, right? When people are going through this process and they're starting to experience life alcohol-free or they're starting to shift their perspective a bit with alcohol, there is a real desire both from a, hey, it's really triggering to me when you drink all the time, as well as from a, man, I am starting to realize how much better alcohol-free life is and how much healthier it is, and I'm worried about you, right? So from both of those perspectives, there's a real desire to say like, come on, but there's a problem, right? And the problem is that we can't force people to do things. And this can be hard, especially if the drinking is really detrimental, right? Especially if it's causing problems in the relationship or problems at home. It's a question that comes up all the time. And my main sort of thing, my main idea here, and the thing that I have found to be the most helpful to people is to remember what it was like when you were there. So whether or not you're like fully alcohol-free or working on getting there, there was a period of time in all of our journeys where we were sort of ambivalent about drinking or even more difficult. We had this thought in the back of our mind that we have to do something about it, but there was a lot of fear. There was a lot of worry that like we couldn't do something about it. And so we cram it down. And actually one of the ways we cram it down is with more alcohol. And that part of the journey is so painful. And so one of the best things that someone can do when they're you know worried about their partner is to remember what it was like to try to develop compassion for them 
And that's good on a whole bunch of different levels, but two levels in particular, right? First, having compassion is just feels better than being angry, right? It helps you feel better. And second, when we are trying to push someone to change in a way that they don't want to change, we end up pushing them away. And neither the person who's quit drinking nor their partner needs that. So having compassion and being open is one of the best things that you can do. And it requires a level of patience that at sometimes can be really frustrating. But over and over and over, I see one, you know, one member of a partnership go alcohol-free and before too long, the other person's there. I actually have a story about this from a program I ran a while ago and it was a 90-day program and one of the members asked me this exact question and she goes look like i am planning on going alcohol free my husband is drinking every night and he drinks a lot and they used to share the same drink and i can't remember what it is was now it was years ago but we had this conversation and we had this idea of like hey you lead the way right you can't control him you can ask him to join you but you can't you can't force him and by the end of the course, both of them were on the call, right? Because she had made the transition. He started to see her and he started to see how she had changed, how her life was getting better. And he's like, I want some of that. And so really it's those things, right? It's having compassion and having that patience uh, that, can, that can really help in that process. But unfortunately, there's no good way to force someone. I love what you said, because it's taken me back to where when I started my journey, it, it was something that I knew, I mean, my husband was supportive of, but he was also very clear that like, this is your journey. And yeah. so I, yeah. I, I, I will support you, but I, yeah, like I'm not entering into these waters with you. And it, what you said about like, you know, there's this fear that it's going to change our relationship. So if I start this journey and he's not joining me in this journey, then the fear is that my relationship somehow is going to change. By the way, my husband and I, like our hobby was like, we said like we're cocktailing was our hobby. Like yeah. as yeah. a verb, cocktail <laughs> as a verb. Some yes. people like, you know, have go hiking together. We cocktail together. So there was this big fear of if I change my relationship to alcohol, you know, how is that going to disconnect us? And then it's like this, you know, the, the reflex is to want to force them, want to, make them join us on that journey. And what you just said, I think is so powerful. It's worth repeating. It's that, you know, by, by kind of forcing them and, you know, nagging them or, you know, kind of having that frustration with what they're doing, we're actually creating the disconnection that we very, very fear in the first place. So it's working against what, what we're trying to protect from, from, from the offset. And that's where I think to your point, the compassion, remembering, you know, and I mean, he, he was not a drinker. Like my, his journey was different than his is different than mine. He was not the mm -hmm. same kind of drinker mm -hmm. as me, but remembering that people don't ask that people don't take advice that they don't ask for. Yeah. And so I can say all day long, Hey, like, I don't think you should be doing this, but unless he wants to enter that himself, he's not going to. And so, yeah, I, I love that you point that out. Cause I think that's probably one of the biggest biggest things to remember the very things that the fear is the thing that is the fear of disconnection is the thing that we're actually, you know, yeah. making come happen, making happen. So absolutely. I, you know, we, you can think back to your own journey and there was a time again, like for all of us, when we're struggling with it and the suggestion that we do something about it just fills us with like fear. 
And we all know, like, I, I don't know, maybe I'm not supposed to say this, but like, we all know that really annoying sober friend that just can't shut up about how great they feel all the time. And when you're the drinker in that moment, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I feel great too. But my point is like, when you're the drinker and you're just hearing this over and over, it does disconnect a little bit, right? Because it's, again, it's triggering that fear in you. I, I coached a lady once. She, she was so enthusiastic about how great she felt alcohol free and just like what she had learned and like what, what happened in her life. And she actually went out and printed up business cards with like a link to the program we were in and all of this stuff. She started hanging, handing them out. And like on the front of it, it said something like, alcohol is gasoline or something like that, right? Because Gosh. the ethanol that's in alcohol. So she's telling me this story and she's like, Scott, I made these cards. I've been handing them out to all of my friends. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. How's it going? And she says, no one wants to hang out with me. <laughs> Imagine that. Huh. I wonder what happened. Yeah. That's amazing. I went to my very first barbecue and like, mind you, I did this kind of during lockdown. So I was like in my own little self-imposed rehab, went to the first barbecue and literally told everybody that they were going to get cancer and they were drinking ethanol out of their glasses. And yeah, nobody want, nobody wanted me around. <laughs> I get it. And like, I admire the enthusiasm. And I have to yeah. say, like, when you learn a lot of this stuff, it is surprising. You yeah. Know, because I mean, as a society, like we've agreed that like this one poison is okay, but the, uh, these yeah. other poisons aren't. And you start to look at that. That's a big, like, I don't know, like unveiling happening, right? It's like, oh, I'm finally seeing the truth here. And that's, that's really exciting. And we do want to spread that. The problem is so many other people are still under the, under the spell, right? Like they're not seeing it in the same way and it can, yeah, it can cause friction for sure. I always say that I came out hot. I came out hot. I was super excited. I wanted everyone to know because I was like, I had that anger of like being duped, you know, like I didn't know what I didn't know. And so it's, it became that, you know, it was that fuel for like, hey, people, like you need to know this. Who knew that this increases our cancer risk on, you know, all of, in all of these ways and all of these cancers, like who knew all of these things? And I want to share that with people I care about, but the effect, the results of that is it, it, yeah, that disconnect, you know, puts us further away from the people that we're really trying to care for and sharing. Yeah. And I, you know, I work with my clients obviously to, to shift to being alcohol free, but like when that energy, you know, when that energy comes up for them, I help them and I like recommend that people channel it into continuing to develop themselves, right. Continuing to grow. Cause one of the questions that I get all the time is like, Hey, I feel great now but I've been here before, right? I took 30 days off or 60 days or whatever it might be. I feel really good and I don't wanna go back. Like, how do I make sure that doesn't happen? And the answer, my answer to that question is to keep growing, right? Yeah. Like the version of me that I have now, I mean, I quit, you know, six years ago, but like, whatever it is, I lose track, honestly. But like the version of me, you know, six months after I quit drinking was very different than the version of me six months before I quit drinking. That's the best insurance I know, right? Is just to like continue to shift your thinking, continue to grow. So if you can take that motivation of like, I've been lied to my whole life. Look at these Super Bowl ads, right? If you can take that and channel that into your own development, whatever that happens to be, like that's better for everybody around you and you. Yeah, so good. Do you think that it's, 
I mean, I guess obviously it depends on the relationship, but do you think it's, it's good? Like if you're at the very beginning of this, going to like your husband spouse and saying something to the effect of like, I'm on this journey. Like, can we not have alcohol in the house? Or like for me, what I did is I said, I, I literally said, I have no idea what this means. I just need a break. Would you just please not drink at home with me around for whatever, for the next little bit? Like, do you see, is that a good idea? Or just, is it go on your own journey and be the best example? Or what do you think about that? So I think it's different for everyone. And every time these spouse questions come up, the first question I always ask is I'm like, well, did you talk to them about it? And about half the time, the answer to that is no. (laughs) It's like, you know, I just decided to quit drinking and I'm expecting them to see it and shift. But it's really common, right? Because we don't necessarily want to talk about this stuff. So, you know, what I normally see and what I see is like sort of the best practice here is for, you know, the person who's quitting to get really clear on what sort of support that they need. Yes, it is true. It can be difficult to quit drinking when someone's in your house getting wasted every night. Yes, absolutely. You know, I don't think there's any denying that. And so what's really important is that we as individuals who are making this change for ourselves we say, okay, here are the things that I need, right? So step one is getting clear on that outside of the relationship, just like, all right, you know, alcohol in the house doesn't feel good to me. You know, I don't want to go out for a couple of weeks, whatever, whatever that is, right? And then once you get clear on that, having a conversation with your partner, but not in a, I'm quitting. And so you need to do this, right? Saying, I've thought about this, asking for their support, It would really help me if, and then you can lay out what it is that you need and you can have a conversation about it. And then the third part of this conversation, and this is, this is where things can get tough sometimes is having boundaries, right? If they are like, look, no, I'm going to keep drinking. That's okay. Right. If you've asked for it and you voiced how you feel about it, you can then say, all right, well then I'm going to watch TV in the bedroom, or I might go, you know, read on the porch or whatever. But as long as you make it clear, like what it is that you need for support, you can work together on that. And in the places where you can't work together, you can still meet your needs by doing something different. And ultimately this entire process, right? Of getting clear on what you need, asking for it, and then sort of sticking to it. That's something that we lose when we, when we drink alcohol, oh, right? So when we drink good. alcohol, especially for emotional reasons, right? We lose touch with our needs. And so even if the answer to all of the things you ask for are no, it's still such a great exercise because you're getting clear on it and you're asking for it and then you can act on it. I was just going to say what a great warm up for yourself for this journey, because that is what is, you know, it's kind of that, you know, turning to using discomfort and curiosity as our like friends on this journey, like where am I feeling discomfort? and getting curious about that. And so as you're starting out and you're noticing that, you know, like there's this, like I I have this urge, I have this thought, I want to drink. Okay. Here's this discomfort. Let me get curious about it. What is it really saying that I need? And so, so when we start that journey, similarly, it's like, what can I ask of my, of the people who love and care about me in a way that supports me in starting this? And maybe it is, I don't really know what I need yet, but I'm just putting it out there kind of like you did, Christy. Like I, I kind of felt the same way where it was like, I'm not sure 
if having alcohol in the house is is what I need or don't need. I, I don't know what this looks like yet, but also like permission to, you know, uncover and bring it back to you. Like opening that line of communication just around it is, is you know, is, is a huge, a huge starting place for sure. To know you have that support. Like I, I quit drinking. There were like three or four bottles of wine on our counter when I quit. And I, I drank wine. Well, I drank anything that we had, honestly. But like the thing for me, like it wasn't about, about not being around alcohol. Between it and my job, I was around alcohol. Like I traveled all the time and that's just boozy everywhere you go. And so for me, the thing was an open line of communication with my wife. So being able to talk about it, that was the thing I needed. I mean, surprise, surprise, guys. I talk to process things. I think you both know this by now. But like that, like that was really what I needed. And so that was in my conversation, you know, and I personally, I didn't need to ask her to do anything. And interestingly enough, she ended up quitting drinking for the most part too. Like I can think of like probably two or three occasions that she's had a glass of wine since we, since I stopped drinking, you know, like it just turned into a non thing for her as well. So for me, again, it was that communication and having that place to talk about it. Yeah. So good. So good. It's so hard. And it, I mean, it's all hard. This is hard, but I think the hardest part is now knowing everything that we know on the health side, right? Especially now. I mean, it's even more, it's more, there's more research and more information even than when you were, like training me Scott like it's it's everywhere right and so I just feel like even with girlfriends that I love and adore like watching them drink like I'm not going to say anything I I learned my lesson but you know the cancer stuff like it is just hard so like coach us through that (laughs) how do we what do we do (laughs) how do we not be worried I think the biggest thing on this is getting clear on what you control and you don't control what your friends do. I mean, you might, I have friends who smoke cigarettes, right? Like that's disconcerting. We know a lot about that, but I also think, and this was something that was really helpful for me, if anyone noticed, right? Which my friends noticed, you know, like I'd show up for beer with the guys and I'd order a Coke and it was like, what's happening, right? Cause I was the guy, I was normally the guy that like instigated all of it. I've just made it clear to people that this is a choice I've made. And that's that. Oh, and by the way, if you ever want to talk to me, I'm here. Yeah. And it is amazing what happens. Yeah, right. That sort of quiet leadership and a group of friends. I mean, the number of people who have approached me about it, you know, whether it's friends in the, you know, here in the, the area that I live, whether it's people I've known for a long time. I mean, I've had people from high school send me a message and say, hey, I'm thinking about this, you know, or have questions about it. So what I've found is that like the best way to help other people make this shift, unfortunately, isn't to proselytize about it and remind them that they're getting cancer every time they pick up a glass of wine, but is instead to like be such a kick-ass alcohol-free person that people are like, I want some of that. But it can be scary. And I think the, the other side of it too, you know, specifically you're mentioning like the research around, around cancer is really working on our own thoughts about it, right? So when those worries come up, working to shift the way that we think about it and also recognizing the fact that we live in a crazy social media fueled headline culture that like, all right, I wanna get some perspective here 
right? And really, really help yourself work through those thoughts. And again, get clear on what it is you can and can't do. That's the way to, to kind of navigate that. But I agree, it can absolutely be scary. Well, and that's where it always comes back to this. And you know, I, you and I love talking about this, Scott. I know Christy too. It's like a, it always comes back to that level of story that is contributing to our feeling, you know, our, our discomfort and whatever, whatever situation it is or conflict that we feel. And so if it's, you know, the story that like, I can't do this if my husband drinks, well, that that's a story. How, how can, what is controllable, not whether or not he drinks, what is controllable is your thinking about it and how that story is impacting you starting your journey or finding momentum in your journey. And so reframing your thinking around that. I can't do this if my husband drinks. Well, I'm open to seeing if I can do this regardless of what my husband does. I mean, who knows what will come of this? Or if I do this, my marriage will fall apart. Well, that may, hey, that may be true, but also it's true that your marriage could be, could grow stronger as a result of doing this. And so looking at that level of, you know, control again I hate that word control but like in our controllables <laughs> world it's that level of story that's where we can find our empowerment that creates that emotion that lighter feeling that we need that positive emotion that gives us the momentum in our journey that it then allows us to be the one that's showing that this is what is great and happening as a result of finding freedom from alcohol and so which is going to speak much louder than any evangelizing will do so yeah Totally. I mean, I, as you guys know, I'm obsessed with the idea of story and how our experiences are shaped by the stories that we tell ourselves about the world or about relationships or about ourselves. And I don't want to get too deep into it because it gets really weird really fast. Like, <laughs> I don't want to be like, nothing's real, man. But like, <laughs> yeah, you can get there. You real. can get there with this. But no, I mean, nothing's real. So there's that. But... <laughs> But like the stories that we tell ourselves have such a massive impact. And that's why I think coaching is so important in this process, because one of the really difficult things about story is sometimes it's really hard to see when you're living in it. Sometimes it's hard to see, you know, you're like a fish saying what's water, right? You don't recognize that that's where you're at. That's what you're in. And you're totally right. I mean, these stories about, and we hear them all the time. I'm sure you guys do too, of like, I'm really worried about, you know, this is when I had a client who used to tell me, she said, you know, my husband and I sit on the back deck and drink wine every night and watch the sunset. And like, we can't do that now. And it's going to wreck my marriage. And I'm like, that's like three or four stories in one, right? Like this idea that like, you can't be around it. First of all, you don't know that. Secondly, that it's going to wreck your marriage. And third, like the thing that's actually important is the connection with your husband. So in a lot of ways, you know, removing alcohol, even on one side can, can really change that. And so, yeah, getting very clear on the stories that you're telling yourself and, and just to be super upfront with what this idea of story is, story is a way that we interpret the world, right? We take in information through our senses. We are, our senses are not perfect. And so we have to like fill in the gaps. Our brains are meaning making machines. And so what we're constantly doing is we're making up these stories about the world. And then those stories are kind of how we see the world, how we experience the world. And so, yeah, if the story is like, my marriage is going to fail if I quit drinking, man, that is a self-defeating story. And the good news about story is that it's changeable. 
So I do a lot of work around story with all of my clients and specifically getting clear on what the facts are, what the story is, and then how can we look at this differently? So good. So good. <laughs> so good. One of the, one of the, my big stories and like, I won't go into it because I already told my story on here, but my mom was, ended up being like a heavy drinker and I lost her kind of in the middle of her heavy drinking. And so one of the things I was angry about for so long and the story that I was telling me about that I was telling myself about that was that she chose alcohol over me and my, and my children. And I do, and I do the same thing with my husband. I do the same thing. I'm like, you are choosing. And that was a story that for a long time I told myself, yeah. but like me and I've talked about this till we're blue in the flight blue in the face off the pod, obviously. And you know, it's just, that's, that's just what it is. It's story. And when I, when I go back to that place of compassion, remembering how I felt stuck, like it just helps completely helps me completely eliminate that part of that story that I was telling myself. Absolutely. I mean, this is one of the reasons I offer. So when people sign on with me for coaching, for alcohol coaching, one of the things I'll do is I will have a phone call with the partner if they want. It's totally voluntary. And it's not like a reporting thing. I'm not like, oh, well, yeah. they're doing this, this, and this. Yeah. But it is when it is when those those sort of problems come in, right? And I do hear this in Christy, like you're not alone. That is a story that that comes out unfortunately often for this. And I think a lot of times the way that we treat this, you know, if you look at sort of traditional methods of dealing with this, the idea is like, I'm going to cut you off if you don't do this, right? It, it is sort of an anger response and it's not necessarily the most supportive for the person who's going through it. And like I have, I have found in being able to have conversations with the partners of people, not only do they get to, you know, a sense of like, who is this Scott guy? And like, is he actually helping? But I've also found that I've been able to help them understand because one of the things that's really difficult, especially if you're in a relationship where the other person has never struggled with this, there is no good way for them to truly understand what you're going through. They can see you struggling. They can see how difficult it's been. They've been there for your ups and downs. They get that. But like on an intuitive level, it's really hard for people to get that, right? And that's where we get people ask questions like, well, why don't you just stop? Like, why is this so hard? And the reason they ask that question isn't because they're a jerk. It's because that's easy for them. And so being able to have that conversation with people and help them to the extent that's possible, like understand what it's actually like to go through this, just creates that more sort of supportive environment. And those stories around like, if he really loved me, he wouldn't do this. It's, it's rough. And it's something that I see people beating themselves and others up with all the time. So Christy, I'm curious, I know you're the interviewer, but Sorry. What? So how did you shift that? Like, where did that change for you? Yeah, no, I mean, it was, it was, it was a lot about stepping into the compassion, realizing how I felt when I was stuck and knowing that that was, that was what he was going through. It wasn't, you mm -hmm. know, and it wasn't, a, it wasn't this choice of either me or going out with work buddies. It was about his own thing. Yeah. 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 I I can think about how that story different differently, but like, yeah, similarly, I, I mean, I used to tell myself that when after the night that my four-year-old was like, Ooh, mom, no kisses tonight. Cause your breast smells like wine after that night. Yeah. Like that was 
you know, I didn't have a rock bottom, but that was my like ouch moment. And after that point, I was like, I had the story that I am choosing wine over my kids. And it wasn't, you know, on you can you can you can put that story out on paper and you can see that and you can spin that. And guess what that made me want to do? Drink yes. more. That's painful yes. if I'm thinking that I'm choosing wine over my kids. Was I really choosing wine over my kids? No, it's just that, you know, like I always say, like we give alcohol this tiny little benign opening in our lives and then it starts taking up more and more space in all the places for all the thing becomes the thing for all the things. And, and that's where it's, you know, it's that paying attention to what stories we're telling ourselves in any situation, whether it's relationship with our spouses, when we're starting this journey or in any scenario, story is going to be so important. And it's going to offer our, our awareness of what that story is, is going to offer us the step out of stuck, the, the path forward, because that is the level at which we can change and experience something differently. So yeah, it's, it's just such a good conversation all the way around. There is a, there's a term in personal growth. I don't tend to use it a lot, but there's this idea of a breakthrough, right? Like something shifts all of a sudden. That is when an old story, you see very clearly that an old story is not true. Oh yeah. my God, I've been doing this for years and it's not helping. I thought it was helping, but it's not, right? That's what a breakthrough is. It's when we can shift those stories and see things differently. Because when we think about things differently, we feel differently. And when we feel differently, we take different actions. And that's like the key thing. So like going to this idea of like, you know, my husband's drinking because he's choosing his friends over me, right? What sort of actions is that going to cause? Well, you're going to withdraw. You're going to probably be mad. You're going to be angry. But if you shift that to he's doing the best he can and just feels a little lost, man, like the way that makes you feel is going to be supportive, is going to be, you know, it's going to be something that's actually going to help him on this journey. And so those sort of things, those sort of story shifts, that's where the real growth I find happens. It's when we can sort of shed these old ideas that we had about the world. And we might've had them for very good reasons. You know, I go in with my clients all the time and talk about like where these came from and what it all means. And we don't have to like excavate the past too much. So you recognize that you've been living inside of a, you know, inside of a box essentially, and that you're starting to realize, wait a minute, I can, I can move some of these walls, right? I can shift these stories. And then suddenly living inside that box feels totally different. Yeah. So good. Yeah. I always talk about the, you know, at some point as kids, we put on these backpacks and we start collecting these bricks, these stories that yes. just keep piling up. Ooh, I and like then we that start one. Yeah. And then we just start like all of a sudden we're carrying around these massive backpacks of bricks that are all stories, stories about ourselves, stories about the world, story about all the things. And the then we think should be. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. The should, all the shoulds, right? Yeah. Expectation, you know, is part of the unconscious expectations for all the things. And then you get to this point where, and this is where I always say, I'm so grateful for hitting my not rock bottom moment, but that ouch moment with my four-year-old at the time that kind of propelled me into doing this work because not only did I find freedom from alcohol, but I've been able to find, I've been able to unload brick by brick. This, all the stories that have burdened me, you know, not all of them, right? Like it's all, it's forever work that we get to do, but I've been able to lighten that load significantly 
to where I'm not having to show up with my 17 masks and be who other people want me to be or, you know, need me to be. And so the greatest gift of just starting this work, and this is where I do get excited and I don't apologize for (laughs) shouting, shouting about it, is that this, this is freedom from alcohol is truly just the beginning when you do it in this way that's like different than just being alcohol free we can be alcohol free but freedom from alcohol where there is no desire no pull and therefore there's no temptation no you know none of that that's where we get to continue taking those bricks out of the backpack and it's just it's the greatest freedom of all yeah. I mean, people ask me all the time, like, what do I call myself? And I, you guys know, you've probably heard me rant about like the word alcoholic and how much I don't like it. And I will spare your listeners that, but like, I, we have a whole episode one, coming on that. Don't worry. Of, oh, really? <laughs> oh yeah. Already, we've I'll already sure. recorded it. We've already recorded it. <laughs> but I, that's one of the reasons I hate the term alcoholic is that it is like defining people by like this one particular part in their life. And I'm a lot like you mean, where I see it as just like, it is a stepping stone, like it, like any other growth thing, right? This is just another thing that we're doing in continuing to like evolve and become better versions of ourselves. And so it doesn't make any sense. Like, you know, I used to not drive a car and now I do. Like, I don't call myself an ex non-driver, <laughs> you know, but like, but as time goes on, I'm like, that's. I I don't define myself that way. And I find that when people do sort of hang that around their neck, it's, it's actually another brick in the bag as opposed to being able to take bricks out. So good. So true. So true. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all the stories that keep us stuck with the habits and tendencies and default modes of living that keep us just kind of, I always do the robot arms there, you know, like the, the auto, I know, I know. Go yeah. to YouTube, but the uh, the the autopilot mode and yeah, and, and, yeah. and so you know, just kind of zooming out and starting to take note of what those stories are that we're spinning and being able to question them, get curious about them, and figure out what are these other possibilities. If I'm saying my husband and I will never be able to connect if we're not connecting over drinking, because I'm not drinking, and so then what? How does that leave it? Well. But it's also possible that we'll find other, it may be painful, it may be uncomfortable, it may be hard, but guess what? All, all of growth is going to come from those, those, you know, uncomfortable places. So just find those other possibilities. And so what would be like the, you know, for someone listening today, who's like, okay, I've got all, like, this is so helpful. I've heard, you know, all the things about this. What is, we like to leave listeners with a, with a Tina, a tiny new action they can take from you know, what we've shared, if, if they want, what, what would be that little tiny, tiny new action? What's your Tina, Scott? I would say, I think it's around this idea of story. My Tina is around this idea of story where, um, one of the things that can be so helpful for people is learning. And it's tough to be, you know, no one's perfect at this. That's why like I have coaches, you guys have coaches, like we all need help seeing this. But there are sometimes stories that we can see that we know aren't helping us. And so that tiny action that I would recommend is take like take a few minutes over the next few days and ask yourself, like, where are the stories that I'm telling myself? There will be some that'll be super obvious, right? And that's something you can start to work through. 
And the process, by the way, like what I teach my clients and, and what we do is, you know, we, we have them write out the story and like, what is this story and be very clear and specific about it and then boil it down to just the facts, right? So what are the facts? And then look for those places between the facts and your story where you were honestly just making things up, right? Or future tripping or whatever it might be. And just the act of doing that, let alone writing your new story, but just the act of doing that can provide relief. So I would say, look around your life for stories. If you've never heard this idea before, spend a little time with it. You might be surprised what you could find. I know my dead giveaways for story have the words should and need to. Anytime I can find should and need to in my thinking, I know that I am wrapped around story. And that has, that has been something that I've had to like practice paying attention to. Like what are my clues, you know, where there is story involved, but, and it may be different obviously for, you know, for somebody else, but paying attention to maybe that's even a place to start. Just notice if you have any shoulds anywhere, if a should, totally. we all do. Right. So yeah. What is that pointing to in a story? Another thing, which this isn't a dead giveaway, but when you're taking an event that is happening right now and making it mean something in the future, yeah, that's oh, yes. almost always a giveaway that like there's some sort of story going on there. Because unless you can time travel, like you're making stuff up. <laughs> so, so, so true. I know. I, I forget who it is that says that like, you know, because we're bringing our past experience, which is forming our, our lens and the stories that we're telling that, you know, m like make our experiences what they are. It's, we are, ah, I'm going to butcher it. Gosh, I always do that. I'm like, yes, no, it's going I have, great. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we remember our future. We remember Ooh, our future. Like Think about that. I like we remember that our future, right? Like, so we're using the past. And we're predicting the future based on the past. So we're remember anyway. Yeah, I think you get the idea. But I mean, that the thing is, it's a natural process. Like that's yes. what our brains do, right? And in a lot of ways, it keeps us safe, right? If we remember the fact that gravity exists, we will stop ourselves from trying to exit the building from the third floor, right? Like that we know we know these things. And so these stories, but what happens in modern life, and especially when we are running around and, you know, we're feeling pressure one way or another is we start making this, this process of making these stories just runs amok and we start doing it everywhere in our lives. And that's where like the past may be predictive, but not necessarily. And I think that's where people really get tripped up with that idea. So true. I love that tiny Tina. It's a good one. <laughs> it's a good it's a It wasn't that tiny though. I'm it sorry. Wasn't. I realized I went and it's off also, with it. No, it's good because it's the, ba <laughs> it's the basis for this whole podcast. So it's awesome because it's someone else saying it in a different way than me yeah. and I have been yeah. saying it. So it's helpful. That's but awesome. I also think it's important just to like, as we wrap, also point out that like, such amazing things can happen in your relationship just if you stop drinking. So, I mean, like, I, I think we're all in agreement here that our relationships got a heck of a lot better when we stopped drinking. So I yes. think that also Amen. helped me, right? Like focus on myself. Like I, I stopped drinking. My relationship improved significantly, significantly. If the other person quits too, amazing. But if not, like celebrate the fact that your relationship got so much better because you made this amazing choice, right? Yes. Yes. So true. I totally agree with that. Always the cheerleader over here. I love it. <laughs> it's important. You need a cheerleader. 
so good. Oh, well, thank, thank you, Scott. Scott. You're the yeah. best. We love you. Thank you, thank you for having so me much on. For this being was really here. fun. Yeah, I'm always happy. Anytime. Tell everybody where they can find you, and we'll also pop everything in the show notes, obviously. But anything you uh, want to tell tell everybody? How much time you got? Well, you can find <laughs> me at scottpinyard.com. The link will be in the show notes. I, I'm still doing alcohol coaching. I have also started co-parent coaching, which actually revolves all around this idea of story. So all that information is available on my website. It's scottpinyard.com. And I would love it if you are on there and you want to reach out and just say hi. Or if you have a question about anything I've said, go ahead and email me. You can do that from there too. Amazing. Yes. Thank you. Well, thank you guys. It was good to see you. So good. So, so good. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. You can find all of our episodes at butjesusdrankwine.com and make sure you follow us over on the gram at Love Life Sober with Christy and Mead at I'm Not Sober, I'm Free. To learn more about what we do, you can visit our websites at meadhollandshirley.com and lovelifesober.com. Take a screenshot of this podcast and share it with a friend or two. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't have to worry about missing a single episode. And if you love what we're doing, please leave us a review on Apple or Spotify. This helps more women who are feeling stuck and alone in the overdrinking cycle to find hope and encouragement. Thanks, ladies. We so appreciate you. We'll see you next week.